So I've actually asked several members of our parish council uh, and then a past member of our parish council to share this morning to provide testimony as a way of helping us remember the things that God has done here, helping us give thanks for those things and look forward in faith. I'm only going to share with you quickly why I chose the passages that I did before they begin to come up. So at least one of the things that we can draw on from the story of Israel in the Old Testament is that change is hard. No matter if it's a change for the better or not. The Israelites leave slavery in Egypt, miraculously at that, only to wish to go back. So after the verses that Amy read for us, verses 1 through 13, and all of this exuberance about God's faithfulness, this confidence in the God who has rescued them, very quickly after, Israel gives way to grumbling. We're told that they go three days into this wilderness and find no water. They come to a place and they cannot drink the water because it's bitter. And therefore, it's named after the word bitterness. And the people grumble against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And he cries to the Lord. The Lord shows him this log. He throws it into the water and the, log, uh, and the water becomes sweet. However, grumbling becomes a theme throughout the rest of the time in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And we're going to come back to that. But the Israelites leave slavery miraculously and they want to go back to it. Today, we might diagnose them with the Stockholm Syndrome. They want to go back to their captors. That seems better to them than having to continue to trust in God and a future that they don't know. Now, we're not in their situation. I don't want to insinuate anything close to it. We don't have a captor here. My point is that whether you sentimentalize the past or not, change is hard. It's always hard. There's comfort that comes with knowing what things are like, what they're going to be like. I know this place. It's familiar to me. I know what to expect here. I know who's going to be there when I arrive. So when things do change, especially from something that was good, there's lots of opportunity for sadness, for disappointment, and for frustration. The Israelites turn to what becomes this really important word in the Bible, an entire theme, grumbling. Now, hear me, it's more than just complaining. As one book describes it, grumbling is like a vote of no confidence in the leader. The Israelites are not just sad, they actually lack faith that God can pull through. That God can provide for them and bless them in an unknown future. They doubt that God intends good for them. What do we do when things change? When life throws us an unexpected curveball? Are we supposed to pretend that everything's okay? Put on the smiling face and act as if nothing's happened? Just take it. I don't think that's what God asks of us. But God does ask something of us. Many of the times when the New Testament talks about prayer, such as this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5 that Chris just read for us, it, it combines prayer with thanksgiving. And this whole thing is picking up on the theme 
of Israel's time in the wilderness and their grumbling. Thanksgiving is not putting on a fake smile. It's not pretending to be exuberant when you're really not. It's faith that God does intend good for you, regardless of the circumstances. This is why Paul can say, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is faith that God intends good for you, regardless of what you're dealing with, that God can and will pull through. Praying with thanksgiving means that within shifting circumstances, disappointments, we can still give thanks to God because God hasn't shifted. He's still reliable. He's still faithful. The one who gave his life for us through Jesus Christ and redeemed us has promised us that he will be faithful to us in an unknown future. So this is what we're doing as a body this morning. We're remembering what God has done. We're giving thanks for that. And we're looking forward in faith that this God will always be reliable. He will always be faithful to us. So I'm going to ask Leah Napotnik to come up first. After Leah, and you'll have to keep track of your number, will be Scott. And after Scott will be Dan Velker. And after Dan will be John Hay. Leah, will you come up?
discussing the whole plot that you were had just framed with the, the virtue that when used as told and, and used by the person who spoke in front of you. So, <laughs> I'm gonna stink you on my feet like I have to when I'm in court. One of the things that I find to be terribly compelling to being a human being is living with other human beings is that we are people of story. And if you don't think that, <laughs> all the time. You tell stories about yourself, you tell stories about your neighbors, you tell stories about your family. We're always telling stories. We have a story too. And this story um, started, goodness, how many years ago? If you want to go way back, and I'm a little bit of a historian, this comes back to a, a group of people that got together to form Christ the King, Episcopal Church. Yes, that's what the E word. <laughs> that body stayed together for about five years or so. And then there was a division that took place. And there were sort of two groups, if you will. There were the one group that sort of stayed, and eventually that, that tree died. Another group that the Rock of Rocks were a part of group sort of went on its way. And then there was another group called the Brown Cow that kind of went on its way. Um, from those two groups, primarily the La Rock Crip group, came incarnation. From that group, five or so years into it, was formed this body. And it was really beautiful to see when incarnation was formed, it brought these two sort of wild branches together and they formed this one unique body that was incarnation. And then from that group has come Church of England. Hmm. And now what's even really interesting is as this body moves, we're starting to see some new grafting of some of those old folks. I don't mean old <laughs> but those other groups are now coming back and sort of forming another group. It's amazing to see how God interweaves with his family through his story. I guess what's important to remember is that this is God's story. Hmm. I think about um, Islam, they used to refer to Christians as people of the book. And how this book is God's story, how this story should be defining our story. Mm. Not only that, I guess picking up on the motif here, it's this idea that we become valuable and helpful to each other to the extent that we share each other's stories, mm. are a part of each other's stories, and we see the unity in our own stories. Mm. I know some of you very deeply, and you Mm-hmm. <laughs>
<laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> All of our, so we're getting the 
related to the concept of vision or visions. By definition, the visions are, are thoughts, they're concepts, or their acts of anticipating or hoping for something which will or may come to be. These visions in our lives are formed by our imagination, but they're also formed by the influence of divine agency, scripture, the word of God speaking to our hearts as Christians. Each of us <coughs> has visions formed, or I would like to say visions birthed, by our own imaginations and desires, and that's good. But as Christians, many of our visions have been shaped by divine revelation, whether by scripture, a dynamic encounter with the Holy Spirit, or by the still, small voice of God. I, too, remember very well when four years ago, many of us here, all members of Church of the Incarnation in Harrisonburg, met together for the first time in the homes of Scott and Zoe Hansen to seek God's will regarding a new church plant in Elkton. Actually, this was not a planning session, maybe an exploring session, but not really either. But rather, that first meeting was a hope-filled worship service. It was a service filled with anticipation that as we worship with joyful praise, we listened intently to the word of God, seeking his will, and we celebrated the Holy Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ. God, we believe, would indeed reveal his vision and will to us. I remember, it was my own impression, that the atmosphere of that very first time we met was electric. And I would venture to say that the vision was clearly birthed, that first meeting, in the heart of everyone there the first time we met. And indeed, that vision became the reality of Elkton Church of the Lamb, physically visible, physically experienced by each of us in this room. Now, in my own life's journey, I've had, I've experienced the exhilaration of visions that I believe God set before me, and by his grace were rather easily and comfortably fulfilled. But one vision and its journey to fulfillment led me on a path I would never have chosen or ever imagined. The journey began with a call, a vision, to work through a work that was the most challenging, yet most joyful and fulfilling experience of my vocational life as a Christian educator. I remember thinking and saying many times, yes, Lord, this is my calling. This is the place where you have called me. This is your vision for my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I even had surveyed cemetery lots at that location, knowing that this ministry in this place was the very soil where I would be buried. I was confident. I <laughs> think of that so <laughs> 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 We're not going to miss you, I promise. <laughs> Four years later, the door to that vision I thought would never change suddenly slammed in my face. And it was with a force so devastating that I fell literally into deep depression. The vision that God 
opened the door for had died, or so I thought. Months later, while still in a fog of anger, fear, and confusion, but filled with much prayer and many tears, God spoke this message to me, and I'll never forget it. And I know when people say God said to me, everybody goes, ooh, you know, I heard these words. John, you have rooted deeply in this place where I have planted you. And that's good. But you have allowed the soil around your roots to become very compacted. I'm uprooting you, and I will replant you again and again for my vision for your life. Each time, however, I plant you, I want you to root deeply, but you must always keep the soil moving. Little did I realize then that the vision that had been birthed and the vision that had died was to be the vision that would be resurrected in ways I could never have imagined. Thus began a 30-year journey of multiple plantings and uprootings, each with its challenges still requiring faith, but they were always challenges with great expectations and a knowing that what God begins, he will accomplish in ways we alone cannot imagine or accomplish without him. Now this birth, death, and resurrection of visions, I think, is nowhere more clearly illustrated in Scripture than in St. Luke's record of two men, after the crucifixion of Christ, walking home on the road to Emmaus. As they discussed these events, Jesus appeared and walked with them, but they didn't recognize him, as you know. He asked them, what are you discussing? And they were surprised that he would even ask such a question. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened during the last days? And then Jesus said that he didn't know. What things? And they told him about Jesus the prophet, whom they had hoped was the one that was going to redeem Israel. That was their vision. But he had been crucified. The vision had died. And as they continued walking to Emmaus, Jesus opened the scriptures related to the promised Messiah, to his death, but they still didn't understand. But when they reached their house and offered him bread, Jesus took the bread, he broke it, and he gave thanks to God. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. The vision was resurrected. A vision that would continue to be fulfilled through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the growth of the church throughout history, the growth of the church in East Rockingham, and the final consummation of the kingdom at the return of Christ. <laughs> as we continue as a little faithful flock of lambs, <laughs> following the vision God has placed before us, may we continue to worship in spirit and in truth and in love, knowing, and I believe this sincerely, that in worship and in the breaking of bread together, Christ will faithfully continue to reveal himself, his vision, and his will to us. Thank you to Leah, Scott, Dan, and John. So next Sunday at 10 o'clock, we will gather at Redeemer Classical School. At 9 o'clock, we'll have breakfast, and I hope you'll all be there. I hope you'll bring friends along. 
This morning, um, Josh and John were here getting ready, and they were talking about the things that would have to be done this week, and, and one of them said, it's not going to be perfect next Sunday. And I said, well, wh- when will it be perfect? Do, do we, the next week? When? Look, none of us are under any illusions that this change is going to be easy. It, it's not. There are going to be different aspects that are harder for some than others. It's going to vary the things that we will mourn. Some of us, a lot of us, are going to miss the smallness and intimacy of this space. Some of us are going to miss how well we hear in this space. Some of us are going to be uh, uh, happy about the new people that come, but also a little bit sad and a little bit fearful that we'll become forgotten, that we'll feel unnecessary. There are going to be many moments where we have to challenge ourselves not to give in to our worst impulses. We have to remember the things that God has done in this place. We have to remember that God has committed himself to us through his son Jesus, that he's redeemed us. And as he's redeemed us, many of you he's chosen to place in this body. Don't take that lightly. You are called to be a part of this local expression of the body of Christ. So when you're tempted to give in to those impulses, don't give in. Give thanks to God. Remember what he's done And trust that he's going to continue to do it in the future. Let's stand and profess our faith in God and pray together.